Hi everyone, it's Ian Macbeth and Tristan Lee from the Landlord Page, Avocado Properties podcast that we're about to kick off, share some good value. This week we've got one of our own, Mike Robson, coming on the podcast. Right here, right now, 2021, middle of a pandemic, you cannot fail to make a profit on a buy-to-let property. I'm looking forward to getting stuck into talking with him about how you actually review your portfolio. And I think there's so many landlords that are busy out there just going from step to step in their life. This is a good reflection podcast where you can get some tips and advice on how to actually make sure your assets are working for you. Ready for the podcast? Definitely. Let's get on. on. Mike Robson is going to be our guest today. And the reason we've got you in, Mike, is because you've got nearly two decades worth of property experience, which is great. But one of your former roles was actually to sit down and review portfolios with kind of seasoned landlords, new landlords, um, anyone that maybe had a portfolio as a bit of a side hustle to their job. And I guess review that portfolio and actually make sure it's performing for their own personal goals. So I'm excited to get into questions on that. You're a multi-landlord yourself, so you're obviously very up to date with the legislation and, and that element of things, which you might touch on at some point. But I think what's key for you is you can see both sides. You can see it from a property management point of view, from a, an estate agency point of view, from the landlord's point of view, and from a property investor's strategy point of view as well. So thank you for coming on. You looking forward to this? Thanks for having me on. I am. Yeah, let's go. Good stuff. Tristan. So the ultimate question I need to ask you, which we ask on every single podcast, which I'm sure you're aware from other ones, but why did you become a landlord and a property investor? Well, as Ian said, I've always been working within the property industry. um, And there was a point where I played a board game called the rat race, which is a, it's a teaching game, which teaches you how to build income outside of your own Uh, job income, so your own salary. And the aim of the game is to build more income outside of your salary than you earn from your job, which means effectively you can give up what you do, which inspired me to stop spending money on cars, booze, fun, excitement, and put my money into something sensible, which I could then use to take cars, booze, excitement. So I wasn't using my own money to, to, to have the things that I wanted. I was using money that was being generated by investments. It's a great way to kind of kick off your life at an early age, because I would imagine you were probably, what, late 20s, something like yeah, that? Mid-20s, that? Yeah, mid-20s, yeah. Mid-20s, and at mid-20s, a lot of people are very much focused in stuff and things. So to get an income value and an income source going is great, and that's why we do this podcast, is to talk about how people have done that, and also get people thinking about, could they do that as well? So we'll get straight into questions, and what I'm really excited to ask you is, for someone that's got a a multiple property portfolio. It could be two properties or more, could even be one potentially. And they're kind of using it, let's say, as a bit of a, a side hustle to their job, much like what you were talking about. How would you, if you sat down with them, actually review the efficiency of that portfolio? And how would you look and make sure that it's actually ticking the boxes required to get their end goal? Because I would imagine everyone you spoke to had a different goal, a different theme that they were working towards. So how did you review it for them? What questions and what processes and techniques have you picked up over the years to do that? I think the case for the majority of people is whether they own one property, three, five, seven, nine, however many it is, the properties never shout at them and it's never in the forefront of their mind because they've got kids, they've got jobs, they've got commitments, whereas the properties will just 
look after themselves or their property manager will look after them other than the odd broken washing machine, this sort of thing. Um, it never shouts at you at seven o'clock in the morning that you're paying too much on your mortgage. Your mortgage company will just keep taking your money. So the, the point of doing a portfolio review and sitting down with someone for an hour or two hours and looking at every single aspect of the ownership of their properties is to make them stop in their tracks and look directly at the numbers, look directly at the properties and take some time over it, some time, it's only two hours of a year, so it's a tiny, tiny percentage of your time. But I know for a fact out of landlords that I deal with, people don't take that two hours of a year to just sit down and think, is this property still doing what it needs to be doing? Is it still working how it needs to be working? And do I know what the most competitive mortgage rate insurance deal is for this property? I can guarantee 99 out of 100 landlords don't know. This is probably in the same way if you were talking to a business owner and if the business owner had a coach, you would say you need to spend some time to work on the business. Absolutely. So it's, it's a way that you can sit down with people, ask a couple of key questions and then actually get them working on the portfolio, I guess, which I would imagine with all the landlords you talk to, everyone's going at 100 miles an hour. You probably don't know a lot of landlords, I would imagine, over the years that you spoke to, maybe Tristan, that, that do that on a consistent basis. Is that fair? Yeah. I was, I've when you're speaking, I had to agree on that, really. The amount of landlords I speak to, they just don't. And I think it's good to, like you said, sit down and assess all those different avenues and work out um, where their money's going, where they can invest more and reinvest in property, essentially. I think it's a great strategy for that. And, yeah, I definitely don't see it enough. It's what an estate agent should be doing because landlords look to use an estate agent because they want the weight taken off them. So... The estate agent will say, yeah, it's no problem, I'll do it. I'll take the keys, I'll do the viewings, I'll do the references, I'll do the contracts because I know you don't have the time to do it. Well, along with that, I'll take two hours of a year to go, okay, well, your property's worth this, rented for that, you've got capital appreciation of this, your mortgage rate is that, this is what we can improve on, or everything's working, absolutely every box is ticked. That's all that you need to do. But nobody does it. What was the common theme that you would find from the meetings? You know, if someone's got three to six properties and they're looking at it to create end, end of life wealth effectively, you know, when they hang up their boots in their profession, they want to be in a position that those properties support them for the rest of their lives. What were, what were the common things that you were finding that you could help people with as some quick wins, some quick tips? It was often out of date mortgage rates. People had let mortgages expire and they were paying standard variable rates. Um, and because they'd owned the property for 10, 15, 20 years, paying 3%, 3.5% on a mortgage rate seemed like a good deal to them because when they bought it, they were paying 6 When right now you can be paying 1%, 1.5% on a buy-to-let rate. Um, another was they were unaware of the value of the property. So the loan to value rates were wrong on their mortgages. Um, and a third, I mentioned it on the last question, was insurances. They didn't realise you could get insurance for your entire portfolio rather than for each individual property. And we all know with car insurance, your car insurance company will increase the cost of your car insurance every single year unless you go and get quotes and look for competition. 
Yeah. So those were three absolutely typical things and you could save people thousands of pounds over the course of a year by transferring mortgage rates or remortgaging both properties to balance out the level of equity that people had. And I guess as well, the cost of living changes. You know, if we said every 10 years the cost of livings are significantly different, a lot of people set up this strategy maybe 15, 20, 25, even 30 years prior to looking at that retirement age. If we're talking two or three decades down the line, the cost of living changes. So to have those regular reviews are quite important because the, the end goal of income that someone might want today might be very different in 30 years, I would imagine. So on that basis, it sort of leads nicely to the next question. In your view, and I don't know whether it's dictated by the individual, the property investor, the landlord, but in your view, is it better to look at long-term growth when someone purchases an investment property for a buy-to-let, or is it better at the moment to look at the profit margins on a month-by-month or an annual basis? What, what would you get people thinking about if you were advising someone on their next purchase? Yeah, I think it's, it is a personal decision whether you're looking purely for month-to-month profit to build yourself an income or whether you're looking at a long-term growth strategy. Right here, right now, 2021, middle of a pandemic, you cannot fail to make a profit on a buy-to-let property. The return on cash on a on an investment, if you're putting a 25% deposit down, should be anything 10% return on your cash upwards. Let's forget about yields. Yields are a kind of old hat in my opinion. It's return on the cash that you're putting in. Um, So you will always make a profit on a buy to let, otherwise a lender won't lend. That's what they're looking at. They're looking at, is this a viable business loan to us? So if it's not profitable, then a lender's not gonna lend and you you can't start anyway. mortgage rates are so low at the moment you cannot fail but make a profit it just comes down to how much profit do you want to make my personal feeling on it is profit is nice and as i said the profit i have on buy to lets it gets reinvested in the properties and it pays for things that i have so i don't have a cost to having cars or this or that or the other because it's covered by the profit i have from my buy to lets um, after i've reinvested in them my buy-to-lets are there, in essence, for a pension plan. So they have to increase in value. So when I look to pay them off at retirement age, one sells and it pays for all the other buy-to-lets in the background. Mortgage is clear and then my pension's built without me having contributed month to month to month to month to month like you do in a private pension plan. Mm. And it's your, you're in full control of it at that point as well. You can make the decision based on the equity growth. So in, in, rea- in, in reality, the answer is both, but probably slightly dictated by the speed in which someone wants to build a portfolio, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's obviously, uh, my, my buy-to-let properties are pure residential homes for people. You can go to a higher risk strategy. You can look at student lets, you can look at HMOs. Student lets and HMOs are for people who have got the time to do it and for people who are really looking to drive profit rather than capital appreciation nine times out of ten. 
And would you say the run-of-the-mill landlord you deal with, Tristan, is someone who is in that same bracket? They're looking at property. They've got that extra cash in their savings. At the moment, definitely, it's not making any money. They're thinking, let's put it into property. And it becomes a bit of a pension plan or it comes a bit of an exit strategy to an early retirement. Would you say that's the most common landlord you deal with or something else? Yeah, I'd say it's, it's very common, to be honest with you. Um, a lot of landlords look into to invest and have an agent basically deal with it for them, like we sort of covered on at the start. Mm. Um, but yeah, typically it's a, a pension pot for them. I often call it, you've got property management and property management is, is managing the maintenance effectively and, and, and the tenants' happiness and, and void periods. But then you've got asset management and I think that's probably what we're talking about at the moment where yeah. a lot of the general high street agents won't look at it from a asset management perspective. Some of the investment communities out there or the investment strategies or trainers might do that as a bit more of a review. But I think you know, landlords can probably do it on their own if they just step back and spend a bit of time. Um, so no, it's interesting. And, and from your point of view, would you always invest in an area you know, or would you go maybe high risk, you were talking HMOs and student lets, would you risk outside of the area? And um, what would you do if you did do that? It's easy to invest within three miles of where you live. And the vast, vast majority of people who own buy-to-let property will own a flat or a smaller house within that kind of radius. Me personally, I would invest outside of that space, but in order to do that, I would have to invest the additional time and research. Because if you talk to an estate agent and they're selling you a house in Birmingham, it's the best house you've ever seen. It's going to be the best return you've ever seen. It's going to have the best capital growth of any road in Birmingham because they're, they've, got a, they've got the agenda to sell the property. So you, if you're going to go outside of your own area, you also have to give the same amount of time to research to know what you're going to get. Whereas... I'm from Woking and Bracknell, Reading, traditionally. I know every house and every road of the whole town. Someone says to me, do you want to buy a flat in that building? I'll say yes or no, without a shadow of a doubt, within seconds. Whereas if someone says that in Birmingham, you'll get a shrug from me. And right here, right now, I still have a job. I run a business. I don't have the time to go and spend all of that time researching sold prices, researching capital growth, researching investment into the area, researching the demographic of people who live there, the companies that employ, the people who are likely to move in, the people that are likely to move out. So yes, I would look out of the area on a long-term basis and I would encourage people to look at different areas, but only if you've got the time to do the research yourself. I would never trust other people's research because everyone's got an agenda. Yeah, everyone's going to sell to you in one way or another. And what would be the key things that you would say, Tristan, that you would ask a landlord to research if they were going a little bit outside of the known to them? What types of things do you think is, is the best thing to them to look at? Are they looking at um, areas? Are they looking at schools? Are they looking at tenant demand, train stations, nature, type of property? What would be the sort of top three that you would advise them on? Yeah, I think every area is going to have its own selling point on that basis. I mean, typically... Um, we cover Berkshire and a lot of them, a lot of good schools, a lot of family orientated areas. So schools is obviously a, a, a main thing for a lot of people um, with, with renting. So schools is definitely one. A lot of people want outdoor space. So typical two or three bedroom houses, a lot of people are looking for, especially with what's happened with lockdown. We found there's been a massive uplift in demand for that. Mm -hmm. um, and transport links, because although people are working from home, a lot of people will still have to potentially commute when things do 
go back to normality with going back to the office, although a lot of people are working, but they still have to attend meetings every now and then where they need to commute into London or whatnot. So I'd probably say schools, um, outdoor space and transport links. Um, you do have the other benefits of, of, like you said, universities. So when you've got your HMOs and stuff like that, but we're seeing more family um, family searching as opposed to, to student-lets locally. Okay, and that, that will help with the, the void periods reducing as well. In terms of the equity growth, touching back on that, Mike, from, from your point of view, advice that you would give to landlords at the moment, because it is a market that a landlord could be greedy potentially with, with the amount of options they've got from a tenant perspective. But what advice would you give to a landlord, not maybe looking to invest today, but that's got one or two properties, it's coming up for renewal, maybe the tenants decided to buy a property themselves. What advice would you give to them in that situation? Because it's quite a key moment, I think, at the moment for landlords. Yeah, I think if, if you're looking at a landlord who's got a 10, 20, 30 year plan to hold a limited amount of properties. Yeah, rental prices right here, right now are much higher than they were two years ago. Do you want to cash in on that? Well, everyone's going to say yes. I want more than I used to have. That's fine. There's no need to be greedy because if you're looking at holding it for another 10 or 15 years, if your next tenant stays for that full 10 or 15 years, you will see higher income because of less changes, less maintenance costs, etc., etc. So bear in mind what your plan is. If you're looking to just get a new tenant in and sell it in the next two years, then by all means, maximize the income because if you're then selling it on to another investor, they will be able to borrow more against the property because the mortgage company will lend them more based on the income. So it's very much dependent on what your plan is over two, five and 10 years. Makes total sense. And for someone that's looking to Let's say they don't own a property at all at the moment. They might own a residential, but they've got a pot of cash and they're thinking, right, now's the time for me to invest in property. Interest rates are, are dirt cheap. Um, the market's obviously booming at the moment. Tenant demand is as high as it's probably ever been since all of us have been in the industry, which is great. So it seems like a secure way to make money. And like you say, the security is the bank is not going to lend on it if it's a poor asset. So you kind of can't go wrong if you get to the mortgage offer point of view. You'd like to think Touchwood. For that individual that's now thinking right I'm ready to look at buying my first property today and then maybe over the next six years get to a point where I've got two or three in the portfolio what would be the first place you would ask them to start not necessarily with the property but you mentioned research what what, what would be the first place you'd ask them to start if you were kind of reviewing this future portfolio rather than an existing one yeah I'd, I'd, I'd ask them to write down in a few sentences what they're trying to do what they're trying to get out of it and that will just flow down, well, what type of tenant do you need to attract? And if you want to attract that type of tenant, what type of property do you need to buy to attract that type of tenant? So what is it that you're actually looking for? If you've got your pot of 60 to 100,000 pounds sat in savings with 0.001, which I think is the current savings rate, then effectively you are losing money on that because of the rate of inflation at the moment. So you have to act, otherwise that 60 to 100,000 pounds is effectively being devalued every single day. That's the harsh truth of it. Um, will property go up in value over the next year, two years, three years? Honestly, we don't know. Um, there's no reason, there's no reasons inside the industry to say that property values are going to stop, drop, are going to slow down even, even at the moment. So 
it will take a shock from outside the industry to change that. What, what would I tell people to do? Do some research, as we said. Where in your local area is public money being ploughed into? So anywhere public money is being thrown in by the million will reflect in house price growth. It is a guarantee. Makes sense. So where is the council investing? Could potentially dictate where you should be investing. They're building a brand new secondary school on your doorstep. That will bring house prices up. They're building a brand new shopping centre in the town next door. That will bring house prices up. It will outperform other towns, guaranteed. We've, wit we've witnessed that in a lot of places though, haven't we? If you look at Crossrail along that, prices shot up across those roads. Bracknell Town Centre with the shopping centre. Um, look at Reading, how de Reading developed 20 years ago from a small town into a regional centre when the Oracle was built. Huge companies followed. Basingstoke from a small town to a regional centre when Festival Place was built. Bracknell when the Lexicon was built. House prices raised almost 20% in one year when the steel structure started being built at the Lexicon. The proof's in it. I think it goes back to that profit versus equity growth you can you could regionalize that quite easily because you could go up north you could go to the midlands and probably make more money on your asset on a month-to-month -month basis but then you could look at the equity growth in an area like sheffield for example and say well actually my 155 grand purchase that i bought 10 years ago is now worth 162 um 180 whatever it may be whereas Investing in Berkshire, Surrey, North Hampshire, um, you know, Buckinghamshire, places like that, you probably would see over 10 years a fair old increase on, on, on your purchase. Yeah, I think, I think people look at percentages and say, well, my property's gone up by 10 or 15%. And when you're regionalising it, that's a red herring because 10% in Bracknell is probably £35,000. 10% in the northwest might be as little as eight or £10,000. And when you factor in your costs of purchase, remortgage, just general admin, that gets eaten away really, really quickly. Whereas £35,000 takes a long time to eat that profit away. I like it. Makes total sense. There's a lot of value in there. I mean, the quick things I've got to just recap on that I've jumped down that hopefully people would take some advice from you on, Mike, is to review your assets regularly and remember what your goal is with your portfolio, to, to work on the business, work on the portfolio. Um, what is the return on cash? Almost move percentages away, because they're a bit of a red herring, move the yield percentages away, the areas that we just mentioned about them. What is the hard review of cash? Look at it from pounds and pence. Yeah, just um, remember, your cash in there, you might have 25% of your money in there. So what's your, and, and, and if you're looking at any other investment, it's how much money you've got invested. It's not the value of the house because the rest of the bank's money is working for you. So review it on your cash invested, what it could be doing in a bank account or elsewhere. Yeah, makes total sense. And then if you're looking to invest next, a simple, quick and easy way to give yourself security as a three mile radius, but also look at where the council is investing, look at where money is going into the area um, and maybe follow suit as, as the next kind of increase, which is, is a great thing to look at. In every podcast, we always look at kind of the same three quick fire questions. Tristan's gonna throw them at you. We're looking for 60 seconds, up to two minutes max as an answer. What have you got for us today, Tristan, so, for Mr. Robson? Question number one is what's ha gonna happen next in the property market? I alluded to it earlier. Um, the answer is there are no signs within the housing market right now 
that will change its course other than upward prices being forced because of demand and supply. Something from outside will have to come and knock it to stop the constant march of price increases. Okay. And then the, the next question is, if you invest in the perfect uh, investment, what does that look like to you? Um, me personally, as I said, I, I have normal families, residential buy-to-lets. So the perfect buy-to-let for me, because I work hard, my job takes up most of my time, is something that has a consistent monthly profit, consistent high capital growth, and doesn't trouble me on a daily basis. Okay, great, and that sort of goes in line with the next question really, but um, what is the best advice you can give to a landlord and an investor? Um, searching for a property, look at some specifics. We've just gone through two summers in a row where, where temperatures have been over 35 degrees. So look at some specifics. If you're looking at a flat, is it dual aspect or does it only face south? because you're gonna have some hot cooking tenants in that south facing apartment and they're gonna move out fast. By a, dual, by a dual aspect apartment, they're gonna have airflow and they're gonna be happy and they're not gonna move out at the end of that summer. So look at some specifics, go granular with the type of property that you invest in and you'll have happier tenants. So a lot of people on Instagram this summer sitting having their lunch in the cars with the aircon on because for that exact reason that the apartments have been really warm. Got sold a south facing apartment that only faces in one direction. If you buy a flat where the windows are on both sides, not a problem at all. Everything else is gonna to be too hot. No, love it. Some great value there. Hopefully people have taken a lot of good notes. And if anyone's got any questions that's watching this, we do this without any sales pitch. We do this for the people that are watching to get value from. They can obviously reach out. They can uh, comment on whatever social platform they're watching it on. Reach out to Mike, Tristan, or myself, Ian. And uh, thank you for your time. Thank Pleasure. you for sharing some of your experience. It's been a good one. I've enjoyed that, Tristan, have you? Yeah, yeah I have. Thank you for coming on. Okay, Tristan, another episode of the Landlord Page podcast. Love that one with Mike. Loads of great value. Hopefully people took loads of good content from it as well. Um, couple of takeaways for, for yourself. What were the kind of key things that you took from it? What advice did you personally take? Yeah, definitely. Mike? I thought there was uh, quite a lot of um, valuable information there for, for landlords. Um, I think there's a few key ones, for example, um, looking into an area where there is investment. You've had a lot of things happen recently where you've had, for example, Crosswell come in. You've had um, uh, Reading previously where they uh, spent money uh, on the town centre. Um, you've had Bracknell town centre. Uh, many different areas where there's been investment, whether it's schools, whether it's mm -hmm. uh, the local area, has proven prices to increase. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for growth in your property, that is the ideal um, scenario for that so look where there's investment and I think the other key thing for me as well is if you're looking to invest in area most people invest close to home because they know the area if you're investing out of area do your research before and have the time to do it yeah. because the agent's always going to tell you it's the best road it's the best investment but realistically it may not be best for your goals mm -hmm. so do your research beforehand and then if you're happy look into it and if not do more research two sound pieces of advice and from my point of view as, as well I kind of thought don't underestimate the value in a simple investment. There's so many property investors out there that are maybe trying to really maximise the small margins, the percentages, and, and making a real complex investment, which sometimes is good, but actually, when you're working on a day-to-day -day basis, you've got a family, don't underestimate the power of that convenient investment. Family, home, 
no void, uh, minimal void periods, less headaches, equity growth, good margins, and just let it do its thing and make you money. Um, and I thought that was a really good, sensible strategy for a lot of people out there that are maybe looking for the, the next golden nugget when actually that simplicity sometimes works really well. So if anyone that is watching has got any questions for either myself or Tristan or Mike, and you want a portfolio review or you want some techniques and some advice, you can comment below. If you think you know someone that would add some value from watching this podcast um, or listening to this podcast, if you're listening to it on the podcast channels, then please share it with them um, and review. And we always enjoy just having a chat with good, sensible hosts that can offer value to you guys. So Tristan, until the next time, thanks very much. Been a pleasure. I'm flicking through YouTube and through Spotify. I don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on YouTube that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They just have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year. Yeah. But why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital gains yeah. tax, and obviously your stamp duty costs that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast and we build a YouTube channel somewhere that landlords